Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Hi there, and welcome to session one of Follow, as we explore what it means to take daily steps with Jesus. See, in Jesus, God doesn't want us to simply know about Him. He wants us to follow Him with everything in us, with every fiber of our being. And in that way, following Jesus, it's much more a habit than it is a moment. You see, habits are things that we do so regularly and so deeply that eventually they become things that we do without consciously thinking we have to do them. And so these habits start forming us to the very core of who we are. And so these six life-giving habits that we are going to explore, they work to establish us in this new life that only Jesus can give. And in this first session, we want to look at this habit of surrendering to Jesus as Lord. Now, I grew up as the youngest of three kids. On the other hand, my wife grew up as the eldest of three kids. So I speak from proximity and experience when I say that I know all of you eldest kids listening to me, all of you have a deep wound that you are still wrestling with. Let's be honest. See, there was a time in your home when you were the only one there and life was good. And then one day, your parents walked in with this small little frame and the cuteness of this brother and sister. In a moment, they announced, now I am Lord of this house and all the attention is now going to come to me. Come on, eldest kids, I know that that is still the wound that you carry to this day. But here's the thing, Jesus made an even more radical statement. Just after his resurrection and just before his ascension back to the Father, he said, I am Lord of all. Read with me here in Matthew 28 verse 18, where it says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's a massive statement. But what does it mean? You see, when Jesus had successfully completed his work on the cross, he sat down in a place of authority over all things. It's like a coronation ceremony. It's like a king taking up his throne. He was saying in plain language, all of it is mine. All of it, from the heights of heavens to the depths of the earth, everything is mine. And this has massive implications for every single person on earth. Because when Jesus had completed his work on the cross, this victory that he won, he now made it possible for every person on earth to come and share in this victory. So if in the Garden of Eden, destruction reigned, destruction was announced, sin had corrupted everything, here Jesus comes and he announces that he is restoring everything under his lordship, his kingship. And I would venture to say that most people probably know something about, whether inside or outside of Christianity, they know something about Jesus 
as the Savior. And you know, that's a good start because that's true. Jesus is the Savior. Or as the Bible would put it, the Messiah, the one that God promised would come. But that's not the end. Listen to Acts 2 verse 36 when it says, Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ or Savior. This Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is no less than the Savior, but he is so much more. You know, I've got a, a good friend. He is a big, strong, burly man. But once on the beach, he saw someone drowning and he actually went in to try and save this person. But in the process, he himself started drowning. And at the moment that he thought all was lost, he suddenly just felt this rescuing tug of a lifeguard. And this person brought him all the way back to his family and friends. But I'm sure that you would agree that that's basically where this lifeguard's responsibilities end. He's not going to now pay for his tuition to go to school and, you know, phone him every day and making sure he's okay. No, that's where it ends. But that's not the case with Jesus. No, Jesus, the Bible says, saves us so that we would be under his lordship. And I want to say that it's, it's when we start understanding and living from this reality of Jesus being both Savior and Lord. This is the first habit that we want to nurture in our faith. So one of the early followers of Jesus called Paul, he writes in Romans 10 verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that word that he uses there for Lord, it's the Greek word kyrios, and it means the following. It's he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power over deciding, master, Lord, owner. So this is a massive statement that the Bible is making, but it raises an even bigger question. And that question is, who is actually in control of your life? So it's almost like the joke of the two old ladies driving in the car, and the one turns to the other and says, Listen, you realize that you just drove straight over three red lights, two stop signs, and you've gone right over a roundabout. And the other old lady turns to her and says, wait, so are you saying that I'm driving? And that's the question that we're asking you. Who's driving? Who is actually in control? Because when the Bible says that someone lords it over someone else, it means that they are in control over this person's life. And that troubles us as modern people. None of us want to have someone controlling our lives. So to this question of who is actually in control of your life, we all confidently answer, well, I'm in control, of course. And why is it that we so confidently say that? And it's because in the modern world, we've been conditioned by these two ideas, that truth, it's pragmatic and it's individualistic. So it's individualistic because we don't see truth, capital T truth, as something out there. No. Truth is what I make of it. It's hashtag my truth. And it's pragmatic in the sense that I define the reality of my life. I define the parameters of reality for myself. I'm the captain of my own soul. 
But here's the thing, what Jesus says here when he announces himself as Lord goes directly against both of those things. So once again, Paul, he sketches a vivid picture of this question, who is actually in control of your life? And he writes in Romans 7 verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God, he says. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Paul is just voicing what all people intuitively know in their heart of hearts. And that is that none of us are fully in control of our own lives because something or someone is already lording over us in some way. Maybe it's money, maybe it's sexual pleasure, maybe it's your career or status or wanting to be liked. We all have something that already functions as our Lord. And when that thing calls, when your career calls, you come and eventually it destroys us. And so this is the incredible thing that the Bible says about Jesus as the Lord of all, is He is the only Lord that when I fully submit myself under Him, He will never destroy or damage me. No, the Lordship of Jesus leads to life. That's why He said in John 10 verse 10, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. No, this Lord, and when I discover the love that He has for me, it leads to God-quality life, life in abundance. And the reason I can respond to that, we find in John 3 verse 16 when it says, for this is how God loved the world. Famous portion of Scripture. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. The Bible says this Lord, this King Jesus, knows me and loves me like no one else in the universe. And that's why I can unashamedly and with full confidence give over every shred of my life to Him. So yes, I do need Jesus as my Savior to secure my eternal destiny, but I need Jesus as my Lord to secure my life, my purpose, and my calling here in this life. But practically, what does that look like? What does it look like to have Jesus as the Lord over your life? And I want to say in plain language, it basically means that the same way that you trusted Jesus for forgiveness to redeem you and restore you in exactly the same way you now trust Him with everything. So if I truly submit myself, if I surrender to Jesus as Lord, it means that I believe that who He says He is, He is. And who He says I am, I truly am. What he says is best for my life is the best 
by far. And when he commands me to do something, I know that it's the very best that I can do with my life. And when he says that I am with you, he actually means it. So that's why I can willingly and gladly give over every aspect of my life. I can unconditionally follow the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. But let's be honest, most people think that Christianity is basically moralism. So this moral vision of Christianity says, you know, God forgives us in Jesus so that we would basically just have a bit of a better life. So you're still basically the same person, but just a bit better. So you're getting a second chance at your own life. But contrast that with what the Bible teaches Christianity is, which is surrendering fully to Jesus as both Savior and Lord. It means that He has saved and redeemed me with His own life, and because of that, I live in a completely new way. I have a new life, His life. He's not giving me a second chance at my life. He's giving me His life. So think about it in this way. It's almost as if our hearts are a boardroom. And in this boardroom, you have all these, you know, role players around the table. You've got sexuality, and you've got business, and you've got career, and you've got friends and family and aspirations, and they're all fighting, they're screaming, they're trying to get the best of you. This is where we should go. This is what we should do. And religiosity says, you know, just draw up another chair for God, for Jesus. He can also have another seat around the table, and he can fight to get you maybe to go in a certain direction. But the Bible says, no, Jesus as Lord means that He is now the CEO of your heart. He comes in and He fires the whole board. He takes over wholesale. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, Paul says, has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. So I have to see this picture in my heart of a new king implying a new kingdom. If I serve this new king, I live in his new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. Colossians 1.13 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. So if I live in the kingdom of Jesus, it means that I can only ever be what God has designed me to be when I fully align every single part of my life to who Jesus is. It means if I live in His kingdom, I live now in a kingdom that is in the opposite spirit to the kingdom of the world. In Jesus' kingdom, we live according to His spirit. We're empowered by His values. We are driven by His love and His vision. You know, J.R.R. Tolkien, when he wrote The Lord of the Rings, he invested so heavily in weaving all these pictures of his deep Christian faith in very abstract ways and in fine ways into his work. But when he had to choose the title for the third book in his trilogy, he called it The Return of the King. Because he wanted to make a statement that when the king arrives, everything is different. When Jesus the king arrives, everything is different. 
So let's make this practical. If I surrender to Jesus as Lord, it means that I look at my life very differently in two significant ways. The first is I now see my life with a new identity. I see it with a new identity. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and He gave Himself for me. I mean, can you imagine that your life would be so radically changed that everything you used to be would be in the past and a completely new person would emerge? I want to say we cannot do this in our own strength. This can only happen if we are reborn through faith into a new identity. You know, this is Matt Damon as Jason Bourne in the Bourne Trilogy. And he's the secret agent who doesn't actually know who he is. He wakes up one day, he has amnesia. And, you know, he asks these questions, who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? And it's called the born identity for a reason. Because similarly, the Bible says that apart from Jesus, every person on earth cannot fully answer this question, who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? It's only when I'm found in Jesus that that answer emerges. Jesus invites me to associate so deeply with his life and his death and his resurrection that all of the old me would be gone and all that is Jesus would replace it. I look at my life with a new identity, but I'm also seeing my life not just with a new identity, but with a new priority. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, Jesus speaking, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And in verse 59, he says, Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go bury my father. But he told them, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Man, that's... That's a vivid moment of Jesus sketching this truth, that our activity will always follow our identity. Activity will always follow identity. If a radical change has not taken place in who I am, I will never be able to do what God has called me to do. New identity, new activity. So having Jesus as my Lord means that He is now in every decision of life and every aspect of life, He is my greatest priority. You know, I think of my wedding day and I, I stood there and my incredible wife came walking down the aisle and I was basically frozen in place. That's just the reality. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't run up to, you know, halfway down the aisle to meet her there and say, listen, before we go through with this, I just want to make sure, how are we going to split up the finances? How are we going to make sure that everything in the house works? You know, who's going to do what? No, we didn't do that. That moment was for us to say, I am making a commitment of love to you. And from that, everything else will flow. Having Jesus as Lord means He is now the priority in my life. But lastly, just on a practical note, we see life differently, but we also live life differently 
in two very significant ways. The first is I live now my life in a new community. You see, I have been born again and I've been saved from, but I've been saved into. I am not my own. I do not belong to me. God has purchased me with his blood and he's placed me in a community of people where I live in transparency and accountability with those of faith. Listen to what Ephesians 2.19 says. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I now live in a new community, but lastly, I also live in a new grace. The unmerited favor of God. Ephesians 2, 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. So no one can boast about it. You see, surrendering to Jesus does not mean that I'm trying my hardest to make him Lord of my life. No, it means that I progressively submit to the grace that I receive in Jesus. And that is a grace both to be and to do. It's a grace for me to be as a person. It goes on in verse 10 to say, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ. I can be, but also it's a grace to do. It says, yes, we were created anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I live in a new grace. You know, we started by speaking of Jesus and his incredible statement of authority. I just want to read it to us again and show us how it ends. Matthew 28, 18, once again says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And now, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And now, he says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. You know, when I was in primary school, we were on a sports trip. And it was my birthday, so my parents surprised me with a plane ticket. I was going to fly home. I'd never been on an airplane before. And I was so excited. The coach dropped me off at the airport, and they put this little thing around my waist to show everyone that I had no idea what I was doing. And this lady was assigned to me. She was going to have control over this situation, over me, in a sense. And so she took me to this room, and she said, wait, just here. I will come and fetch you. And I was excited, you know, and minutes go by, eventually hours go by, and I'm starting to stress. Am I still supposed to be here? And so eventually I emerge from this room and I start walking and then running around in this airport. I don't know where to go. 
I'm so scared, so insecure, and eventually someone sees me knowing that I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. They grab me and they run with me to the right gate. We literally run across the tarmac and I get into that plane at the last second. But all the while I have this question in my heart, why did this person who was taking control over the situation of me as a person, why did they abandon me? And here Jesus says, I am not just Lord over a space, over a person or a moment. I am Lord of all things. And I promise you this, I will never abandon you. So as Jesus followers, we are not just waiting for heaven one day. No, Jesus is our Lord and Savior that we can live God quality life today. I surrender to Jesus as Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And I pray that every person who would hear these words, God, would come under such a conviction of the deep love of the one who knows them best. God, thank you and we praise you that we can give everything over to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for spending time with me. I will see you in our next session. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.